Hello and welcome to the True Blue LA podcast. No baseball on, but we're still going to blab away, aren't we, Eric? <laughs> we certainly are. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, we talked about this like in, in wanting to go back to weekly episodes to keep us occupied, but also like some weeks we realized that with no baseball and sometimes no real news that we're just going to be sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel of ideas. And this week might be one of those weeks, but we, I think we figured out a decent uh, amount of things to riff about. So, I mean, we talked about Monopoly last week, so we're, we're going to at least match that And we are uh, going energy. to again today, yeah. which is going to become a Monopoly podcast. That's right. Yeah, this week, the thimble versus the hat, which is better. We've got a grab bag. Maybe Monopoly will make it. Maybe it won't. We've got, uh, you have a Dodgers Rewind for us, I believe. Yep. And we've got questions from Craig, all that after this. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. You you got to experience this week something that I've had a few times, uh, lifting the curtain a little bit. I think this is generally known, but just in case, I'm sort of the, uh, or was for a while, the only technical person on the podcast uh and we've since offloaded a lot of that to editor brian uh much to my joy because he's much much better at it and stresses them out i hopefully way less than it stressed me out but i'm still generally the person uh recording it and coming up with kind of uh, ideas to kind of make the the sound better and do the technical side of it you you largely have just been you've just been the the talent as they say yeah yeah I guess I, I just yeah I'm the dummy who talks into a microphone and goes do we got it you know like <laughs> and then, uh, that's that's kind of it but yeah this week uh, I've I've sort of jumped on that band we're gonna trying to figure out ways to improve the sound it's not always easy because you know we're not uh, we don't have professional studio or anything and we're we're recording over the internet so we're sort of at mercy to that sometimes but uh, trying to improve the sound quality hopefully that happens this week let us know in the comments if uh, you think the audio has improved this week uh, and we'll see uh, if what we did worked it's become a mantra of sorts in these uh, sort of weird times that it, we're kind of alone but together kind of thing like we're all having to be alone at the same time so you and I are kind of getting through this but the Dodgers and the people on the Dodgers staff also going through this also know that you know, they're they're they as a brand as a business are in entertainment. They need to be doing something. They're doing, you know, granted they're they're they've I think they've got some money in the coffers. <laughs> it's certainly right. the Dodgers do, uh, but they're still trying to to generate some amount of interest. I know you, there's one thing you wanted to talk about. The did you see another Vin Scully video came out talking about the construction going on? 
Yeah, so they like you know they sort of packaged a uh, like a an air but like aerial shot, like a drone shot of the of the updates, the construction updates at Dodger Stadium, and then they just you know there's no better way to present something like that than let's just have Vince Scully narrate it, and it's of course like perfect. So that was fun. Um, what I know, liked about the video, I don't know if you could tell, but the the audio quality was clearly then from his home. Uh, maybe on a zoom call or something just like wasn't the 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 perfect studio audio quality at least Mm -hmm. from my ears which makes me similar to the video they released of then a a couple of weeks ago three weeks ago i guess where it's nice to know that uh, then has gone from old timey radio to to zoom calls to for his his uh professional voice i i think i think i should um I should inquire and see if I can record one of our episodes from Vince Scully's house. And it's one of those like, well, will you have Vince Scully on the show? Well, I don't want to impose. I just want to record <laughs> from his house just to see what the audio quality is like. Like I said, we're looking to improve the audio any way we can. Um, but yeah, so like the Dodger stuff they're putting out, um, uh, we've seen the workout uh, sessions with Brandon McDaniel. It's Mondays and Fridays in the morning. Um, they have another thing. Um, I, I think it's called, what is it Friday uh, Friday night at the Sunset Strip. Uh, it's like a, Ross Stripling does a Zoom interview with a player, um, and uh, that's been kind of fun. Uh, mo- like a couple weeks ago, Kike Hernandez was on, and, and like he's he's got his sort of quarantine um, facial hair going, and uh, it's fun. But um, yeah, the other thing, and then like Joe Davis and Oral Hershiser, obviously they'd be calling games, but they they don't have games, but they've been like keeping in touch. Um, and they decided to cut in on our racket, and they have a podcast now, <laughs> and it's pretty good. Uh, so that that's fun. They've had Dave Roberts on. I think he's sort of the like regular guest every episode. I think next week they're having Clayton Kershaw on. So yeah, that's worth a listen. I've listened to the first two; it was good. Um, but another thing that Joe Davis has been doing sporadically, if you follow him on Instagram, he'll occasionally post like a shorter video on Twitter, but. Uh, he, ba- he just films himself like cooking all the time. And it's a lot of using his big green egg outside and like, he's just searing meat a lot and like <laughs> just smoking, smoking various meats and it's gorgeous. And it's just, I mean, look, it's, it's like not safe for work sometimes to watch. It's, it's like, so any like, like quality food show or just you, where you're just seeing this mouthwateringly like awesome, like food, it's pretty great. And, uh, plus just like we talked to, you talked about like Vince Scully narrating something, Joe Davis mm-hmm. has an awesome voice and it's like just him at home. Like imagine that like he's, he, it's like he's calling himself doing this and it's like, you know, having a professional, uh, narrate his own life, which is kind of weird and fun. But the one thing that drew my eye this week, so they actually packaged one of these little videos, the Dodgers did. And it was like a, what is it, like a four minute video. I think they put it up on YouTube and Twitter. Um, probably Facebook too. Uh, and it's just called cooking with Joe. And he did this like giant tomahawk ribeye. He seared it, um, on one grill. Then he, um, uh, smoked it in the big green egg for a little bit and just all sorts of, uh, bastings and, uh, dry rubs and various, uh, flavor injections in there. And then when he pulled it off of the grill, it's this like gigantic piece of meat, but he put it on this. I, I couldn't see exactly what the cutting board said, but it's a, like a high-end cutting board. It looks awesome. I th- I think it says Davis. I'm assuming under like in in the wood in the middle. 
but I can't see that. What drew me to it is the the handles on the sides of the cooking board, little baseball bats. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed that. So that was that that was probably my highlight of last week, Dodgers related. Um, Why do you think it uh, says just, Davis? You think he's a Garfield Jim Davis fan? He is. Yeah. No, he's a fan of. Uh, um, Ron Davis, who pitched for the Yankees in the '81 World Series against the Dodgers, so did he go to UC the, Davis? The, perhaps the father of Ike Davis. Yeah. No, okay. No, he's a, he's a Midwestern kid. Um, the other random thing that I, I sort of added this late because I saw something tonight on it, um, not even Dodgers related at all, but it always makes me laugh, and it doesn't require baseball to be going on. But uh, Nationals beat writer uh, Mark Zuckerman, um, he all the time. He retweets stuff because he usually has fun with it, but um, all sorts of people mistake him for the you know the head of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg. Mm. But they tweet at Mark Zuckerman, and like I'm just gonna read you this this tweet that was sent to him today. I don't remember what it was replying to, but it said, "Hey, Mark Zuckerman, ever heard of the First Amendment?" Yeah, I'm thinking that scares the bejesus out of you. One day when you finally decide to think for yourself, you know, when you grow up here and realize you're a man, oh, what the hell, that'll be too fucking late. So that's just the, the um, you know, the kind of... We'd gone a few yeah. weeks without the explicit tag, and I think we would have done it another week if it wasn't for a sassy sculptor on Twitter. So <laughs> That's right. Yeah, thank, I didn't realize that was his name. That's hilarious. Sassy Sculptor. <laughs> thank you, Sassy Sculptor. But look, we, we have, we're probably going to have better audio this week, I'm assuming. So you got to break it in, right? Sure. It, we're, we're like the last dance on ESPN. They 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 um, they um broadcast the word fuck quite a bit during that uh, the first two episodes of that 10-part Bulls documentary. Uh, they had an ESPN2 feed that didn't, they, they edited out the curse words, but it was kind of nice to see Michael <laughs> Jordan occasionally go, man, fuck Wait, these why? guys. Is ESPN, is that the family ESPN? <laughs> yeah, I guess, I, I, I don't know how they like justified it. Were the it, broadcast like, times different? That would make sense. No, well, it was, it was, it was six o'clock Pacific, nine o'clock Eastern. So like, it was, it was right there. Like, I, 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 I like, I don't know how you could just be like, ah, eh, it's fine. But like, whatever. it's just like the idea of ESPN two is for for the family. For yeah, exactly. Yeah, for the kids. Yeah, who want to learn about Michael Jordan. Yeah, who knows? Uh, another thing we're sort of, uh, I guess we don't talk about this a lot on the podcast, which is probably a detriment to to me or and to us. But um, just like talk about stuff on the site sometimes because hey we are the true blue la podcast and wait we are yeah and i and i don't know if you heard but our industry is is having a rough go mm. and uh, it, it would be cool it'd be cool if uh you clicked on the site once in a while just to you know check it out that'd be that'd be nice uh so yeah check these things out we're we're, at, we're blake harris and i we are running um these watch parties just basically looking at old games uh, on youtube and then following along as if it were a, a real live game thread it's fun uh for these especially like seeing some old stuff maybe that people haven't seen or they haven't seen in a long time uh we're doing these every tuesday thursday and saturday uh 5 p.m during the week and 4 p.m on saturday we could probably adjust it on saturday if you know, depending on how people sort of react, it was a lesser crowd on Saturday than during the week, but that's understandable, even if folks have weird schedules these days. But uh, last week, what did we do? Oh, um, the 1981 World Series game six. Uh, Blake's going to do every game of the 88 playoffs. Um, he started with NLCS game one um, last week. He's going to do game two this week. And then on Saturday, I did. Um, 
the eight, 1980 uh, MLB All-Star game. Um, and then this week, I'm going to do games five and seven of the 1965 World Series. Both games were Sandy Koufax versus Jim Cott. They both pitched on two days rest in game seven. Just craziness. But I have never seen game five, which was at Dodger Stadium. And the full video of that's on YouTube. Uh, so we're going to watch that. It's kind of fun. Another sort of project I'm doing at the site is, uh, you know, I write weekend reviews every year, uh, or, uh, you know, every season for the Dodgers, like every single week, just sort of going over who did what the la- the previous week. And uh, since I don't have a season to do that with, I'm doing this for the 1920 Dodgers, uh, which is, um, you know, it's a challenge because I'm going mostly off box scores for this. And, um, there is some sporting news stuff that, that I can find. And, you know, there's a, there's a couple famous games and this isn't a spoiler alert or anything, but like th- this has the longest game in major league history, a 26 inning game. The Dodgers also made the world series that year it was their second pennant ever. And it was like their, their last for like 21 years before they were good again. Uh, so yeah, pretty pretty exciting season you know just relative to their like Brooklyn history so I'm learning a lot as I go uh, but we'll, we'll see how that goes it's sort of it, it could be a challenge but also it's it's just a little fun exercise each week I can note on the on the angel site Halos Heaven I'm similarly doing one for the 1979 Angels for which there is uh, a little better um, number of like so, uh, source material I can go to if I want to get like the accounts of the day that's been that's been a fun exercise. So I, I like doing that kind of stuff once a week. So that's up on the site. I also interviewed uh, Dieter Rule last week, um, uh, Dodgers organist, also the LA Kings organist. He was probably at that game. Um, you, we were trying to figure out a couple weeks ago uh, that you were at uh, <laughs> during spring break. Or something. I should have asked him about it, actually thinking about it. But how long has he been the Kings organist? I was looking at this. I think since around 1990. We didn't exactly get into how long he's been there. I talked to him. I'm going to have a feature up at some point this week. Maybe maybe Tuesday, most likely Wednesday or so. But, yeah, so writing about him, it was fun. Um, I think that'll be fun. So look for that on the site this week. That's um, that's what we got going on. I assume after you realized that uh, we didn't have much to go on here, that you, you reached out to some listeners and hopefully f- f- fill the weeds a little bit. I have to. I have to um, just full disclosure here. This was a couple weeks ago when we. Um, this was when we first went back to the recording every week, mm-hmm. and we sort of asked Craig late, like, "Oh yeah, we're recording. Can you send us questions from Craig?" <laughs> and we weren't sure if he was going to get him in on time, which would have been fine because we didn't give him any notice. Honestly, like even if we did, it's like whatever. He doesn't have to send us questions. It's cool that he does, but he did. But as we were waiting, I said I put out a tweet. This was two weeks ago asking for questions and we and the only one we answered on that podcast was a sort of a joke one when someone said um what who is the best musician like in dodgers history or something and that's that prompted me to uh note about bill singer who who pitched uh, who got the first save in uh, major in major league history so that was a nice little uh, segue but i i looked back and there were a couple questions that we can sort of go into uh that still are you know relatively evergreen uh that we can address now first from keith cook raul mondesi versus yasiel puig in battle of network stars style contest of throwing who wins pitching velocity throwing to football javelin 
I wonder about this. There's no Statcast data for Raul Mondesi, but he's nicknamed El Canyon. I mean, that's got to count for at least like five miles an hour extra. Um, I really don't know the the answer. It's like um, from a pro, like a pure athletic standpoint, like Yasiel Puig is like a physical specimen, like looks like a NFL linebacker basically. I would be if it's just throwing. I think Mondesi has a chance, but the more you incorporate other sort of events into this Battle of the Network Stars type thing, I think Puig has an advantage probably. But man, if it's just pure arm, it Mondesi might be up there. Um, he was really good. Um, I, 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 if it's just arm, I'd lean Mondesi, but I think it's really close. I think specifically because we have Battle of the Network Stars, I'm going to assume showmanship is at least... If not yeah. for the final score, how I root with my heart. So I'm going to go Yasiel Puig. It's one of those if it's like, uh, you know, the producers of the TV show. How do, they, how do you know who's rooting for who, though? You're just going to hear a bunch of, ooh, ooh. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, yeah, like even if, if they do something like if, if, like, say their base running is in there and Puig gets, like, picked off <laughs> and they're booing him, like, are they rooting for Raul? Like, what are they, who, what are they doing? Who knows? From David Young. If baseball doesn't have a season at all, does that mean that for the players that have options left, they don't use they didn't use one? Given major league service time is being awarded, do the Dodgers not lose a year of control of say uh Rusdog Gratterall? Which I, I so, we looked up how to say that name and I practiced so hard, but it's I haven't cared about baseball, so <laughs> I'm sure yeah, I butchered we're, we're, it. I apologize. We're not quite in practice yet, but yeah, no. I wanted to get to this I think I can't remember if I answered Dave directly on Twitter on this or not, but just generally, um, it, the agreement that was reached uh, March 27th, I believe, between the players and um, Major League Baseball regarded um, sort of some sort of a guaranteed salary should the season be canceled, plus an agreement on service time. And it's basically this. If, if there's no season, uh, every player who appeared in 2019 – gets their exact service time from last year. So like a Mookie Betts or whatever, he gets a full season, right? But uh, for Graterall or Graterall and um, Gavin Lux, they both happen to have, I believe, 29 days each last year in their first uh, debut. So like, we, I know we spent like a lot of time this offseason wondering like if, they, if the Dodgers were going to play like service time games with um, Lux in a normal season to like delay his free agency by a year. But like if there's no season, like they're sort of back um they're not quite back at square one, but they those two would just get another twenty nine days. So they'd be at like fifty eight days going into next year. In terms of options, there's no real options to use because there's no minor leagues technically right now. All the minor league contracts are su- suspended. So there's no way for player to assign players to leagues. So like just from a technical standpoint, no, but I think practically too there's no season. They're not getting options. So they're, they're not like losing an option year or anything like that. Now, if it's, um, if it is a shortened season, I believe the agreement for pay is that, uh, the players lose one 162nd for every game that's missed in terms of pay. The season itself is 186 days normally. Um, I, I think that gets prorated depending on how long the season is. So let's say 
let's say they manage to mix in a 120 game season, you're looking at roughly two, like, and it's like you're playing two thirds of a season. So if a player accumulates, say, 70 days or something like that, he'd get maybe the equivalent of just over 100. This is just like a, a total spitballing. I don't have the exact numbers, but that's roughly what it is. It's basically prorated if it's a shorter season and just a repeat of last year. So like other players who didn't appear last year and they're just added to the 40-man, they wouldn't get any service time at all. So it's – I mean, everyone loses a year. This sucks no matter what if that happens. So, But in terms of like service time and stuff, that's basically how it's uh, mapped out. And I think the next one I'm going to let you you handle it. I yeah. don't think it's from a listener. I think it's from you, meant to torture it, me. It is. And, and and another thing that's on the site, Blake Harris has been uh, tirelessly working at uh, getting, like, sort of these all-time ranking types things. And, like, he uh, most of it is, is war-based, you know, just basically looking at fan graphs and baseball reference war and ranking both all-time Dodgers and uh, single-season Dodgers. Like, and he's doing 100 um, – of each one. So uh, one that came up this last week was Maury Wills, his 1962 season when he set the record uh, with 104 steals. There are a lot of like little ancillary things that I love about that season. One is that he was only caught 13 times, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but also um, I was looking this up. So um, Ty Cobb stole like 96 bases. I think it was 1915. I don't have it in front of me, but roughly then 1915. From that point to Wills, I think uh, I, five total people uh, stole even 60 bases, and like no one was really more than that. And then Wills went 104, and then a couple years later he went uh, he stole 94 bases in 1965, um, and then no one really approached that till the uh, early 70s with Lou Brock, and then Lou Brock broke Wills' record in. 1974 with 118 steals, but then um, Brock was also caught like over 30 times. So Will's very efficient on the bases, but also uh, this uh, sort of this weird thing about that season. He stole third base. Um, what am I asking? Okay, I, I don't want to tell you this because it's part of the question. I'll just say this: from he Will's led the league in steals for for six straight years from 1960 to 65. The question I'm asking you is for this four year period. 62, which was his 104 year, uh, 104 steal season to 65 when he stole 94. One, how many times did Maury Will steal third base? And two, what was the total of the second place finisher in MLB stealing third base during that span? Okay, I will g make up an answer and I will guess it in about, oh, however long a commercial takes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is a fun trivia question because not only do I have to figure out uh, particularly uh, how uh, likely I think Wills was to steal third, just in general how in vogue 
that yeah. that such a maneuver was. So I'm going to be wildly. I was thinking about this before we went on as I was reading uh, the torturous. You have another one coming up for me, and I've really been thinking about that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that one is kind of a weird, fun one. Uh, I think. I, yeah, it's a hint. It's a spoiler. It's a small sample size question, which oh, uh, for sure. is my 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 bread and butter i love small sample size questions so now i will give you a couple factoids that may or may not help you here Mm -hmm. so wills in that four-year period he stole 291 bases not only he led the nl all four years but he led major leagues uh three of those years and the year he didn't he was three behind the american league leader i will i will give you the hint that the person who stole third the second most amount of times in this four-year span was that american league player uh, that American League player is also a Hall of Famer. Okay. Uh, Wills, in those four years, led the majors in stealing third all four years. Um, and, of course, I had this one. Yeah, he stole at least, I'll give you this. He, he stole double-digit, base. He stole third double-digit times all four years. Okay. And Already nobody, uh, my... <laughs> no, no, nobody else stole uh, double digits in any of the years. Okay, so I'm adjusting mine. So I I had kind of roughly pegged uh, 10% of the steals were of third. So yeah. I was go- getting near 29-30 was going to be my guess. That doesn't work given uh, your yep. hint that has yep. to be minimum of 40. I'm going to go guess a little, little above that, and I will go with 58. Oh, very close. Um, oh, uh, so Will's, <laughs> 202. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, <laughs> Will stole third 53 times. Um, at a, and in, in, in 59 attempts, just ridiculous <laughs> accuracy. Um, the uh, now, do you have a guess for what the second place total was, knowing that nobody stole double digit bases in any of those four years? 12. Oh, it, I wish it was that low, that would be great. However, it is 20. Okay. Do you, I will give you one more hint about who the person is. No, this, this I'll say this person is a Hall of Famer, which I told you. Yeah, he yeah. also stole. He led the American nope. League in steals in each of his first nine seasons. Um, he was so, a shortstop. Nope, passing. Luis Aparicio. Okay, yeah. Wow, I wasn't going to get to the name anytime soon. 20, he stole. 20, he stole third base twenty times. He was. He was second. In 1963 and 64, with seven uh, time stealing third, uh, Tommy Harper in 1965 of the Reds stole eight uh, third times, which was half of what Wills did. Um, Wills went 16, 10, 11, 16. Now, in 1962, uh, Wills, Maury Wills won the MVP, and Willie Mays finished second. He also finished second with six steals of third in 1962. So I thought that was interesting. I do too. Yep. You know what else I think is interesting? <laughs> Dodger rewinds. Now, what's funny about this, or sort of funny? Sometimes I have like I have a reason for doing these, and for the life of me, I can't remember the reason I thought <laughs> of doing this player. I think I just stumbled upon him at some point. Um, now, I will say this: um, it's uh, a, a catcher named Joe Dunn. Now. He only played for the Dodgers uh, for 30 games in 1908-1909, so it's peak dead ball era. He hit 169, 178, 213. Uh, He was nicknamed Bullets for his strong throwing arm. 
He was 15 for 89 in those 30 games. So he, you know, he barely played. This is, this is going to lead into the trivia question here. Mm-hmm. My bet, my favorite part though, is like he filled in for Bill Bergen, who is like considered the worst hitter in major league history, who got like any like extended playing time. He was out for the year after a collision at home plate. Now, another thing that about Dunn, uh, he started off hot against the Hall of Famer. Um, I'm reading this from his Sabre bio. Dunn's first at bat for the Superbus, editor's note, um, that's what the Dodgers were called back then, uh, was against Christy Mathewson on September 12th, this is 1908. And he launched a double to the right field fence that scored two runs. His next, next time up, Dunn ripped a single. In his fourth trip, he he slashed a grounder that nearly took Herzog's foot away, according to the Brooklyn Eagle. The hot shot was ruled an error, though the Eagle said that nine out of ten scorers would have called it a hit. <laughs> so he's two for four, and like a lot of people think, okay, he's probably really three for four. But then he only had like thir- um, what thirteen other hits the rest of the way. So not not your best hitter. Now. My trivia question for you before yep. I get into the rest of Joe Dunn's career. Which L.A. Dodger uh-huh. has the worst OPS plus all time, minimum 50 plate appearances? Now, Dunn had 94 plate appearances, and his OPS plus was 26. The man he was replacing was Bill Bergen, who's actually 16. So technically, Dunn wasn't worse than Bergen. But imagine that. two Over 2,000 plate appearances, and Bill Bergen had a 16 OPS plus. <laughs> Now the worst pitcher is uh, I, oh this is non pitcher by the way okay um, worst pitcher is Mark Hendrickson minus sixty one he was one for forty six now um, do you have uh, any guesses I I will actually accept two for this because uh, I didn't notice the the actual answer before this and I like the this other answer so much better uh, so either <laughs> one I will accept. Uh... I'm going to ask for one hint. Yeah. And it, okay. Uh, the reason I was struggling with this is so many players that I associate as the bad offensive players. It was. It's more. Oh, they had a bad season, but then yeah. they had another good one, and that kind of balances out. Uh, Luis Cruz. I mm-hmm. during uh, kind of in between uh, you and I talking, I've been looking up Dodger seasons and just glancing at OPS plus and reminding me of some of these short-lived names that appeared both of these answers are one season wonders uh or you know not wonders but one season with the dodgers <laughs> um the the actual answer was a philly known for being a philly i would say and his season with the dodgers was 1996 okay uh that's that's i was 10 so <laughs> yeah i i okay. I, I uh, just, knew, uh, you know, Hideo Nomo at the time. Fa- factoring in um, the other answer just is, was a actually productive hitter in his other years, not with the Dodgers, the son of a former major leaguer, and he was a Dodger in 2003. Yep, I'm going to, I'll tap out, but I have some follow-up questions once you tell me. Okay, so the answer, the actual answer is Milt Thompson, an outfielder. Uh, who was uh, had 57 plate appearances. He was 6 for 51 with a double and six walks. He had a minus three OPS. <laughs> um, and then the other answer from 2003, in 114 plate appearances, uh, Daryl Ward. Okay. His I, OPS plus was nine. I'll, I'll, I, you can't, I know my, web, my webcam is broken. I have Daryl Ward written on my name. 
Um, oh. I, now, but that I didn't say it because that was after I was looking through a list. I see. Uh, now, my follow-up question to you was if you knew the answer for a uh, hundred plate appearances, and I was curious if uh, that. So that was Daryl. Yeah, so I would have been all right. All right, I, that and, makes me a little happier. And we'll note that Daryl Ward uh, had a ninety-five OPS plus for his career, so almost league average. I haven't figured it out since it was like the middle of his career when he was with the Dodgers and he was like in his prime at 28, which just, that was also the year they had Fred McGriff who like just completely <laughs> fell off. the. And then that, that was, was the other the worst. thing I was having fun looking down on the like hundred plate appearances per season yeah. going back and forth. Is there some really interesting names? <laughs> it it, it is there. And, and I was having, so like I even did the search on baseball reference, like to, to weed out the non-pitchers and for some reason bob welch kept showing up in the in the search and so i'll just say he actually batted 667 times in 10 years with the dodgers and his ops plus was two <laughs> which is just fun that's just awesome okay so back to our friend joe dunn mm-hmm. uh, he actually after that he managed 17 years in the minors uh, and this was when minors were unaffiliated so they weren't like tied to a team he won three league titles uh, early on with a team in Indiana, Bloomington. And then he's like basically from uh, Springfield, Ohio. He was born there. He died there. He worked for Shell Oil forever from Springfield. Uh, but he went like went back to his town in 1930 and managed the Springfield Blue Sox. And that was one of his league titles in the minors. Uh, he and his two siblings were owners of that 1930 team. But I and then I I read a little bit about this. They were hit hard by the depression, and I think they ended up at like having to either give or like divest their shares to like I think the owner of the Tigers or something to get out of it. And I I I don't have the quote in front of me, but he was like, yeah, baseball ownership is not like not cool. Or, or he was just not he was it was a bad experience for him being an owner. But not many players, of it, especially during that time, can say they were in that position. So yeah, that's Joe Dunn. Does that leave the, what I think it leaves us with? Oh, I think so. It's time for... Questions from Craig. We love them. Five questions, probably more than five answers, because I, I guess I'll let you answer. Sometimes I'll answer as well. The yep. first question, as, as Craig promised, a question about The Simpsons, a show I have a large... Uh, amount of knowledge about at least certain seasons back to the simpsons can you identify components of an episode that make it a classic at least through season 10 episode for you looking at last week's question a fish called selma there was a musical component a rivalry and a parody can you pinpoint similarities with some of your favorites so the main us nerds that reviewed and talked about the Simpsons online for many years in the late nineties and early aughts. Generally the pen point is, uh, some will include seasons nine. Some will include season 10. I am a seasons one through niner is where I deem classic era. Um, mm-hmm. the main difference is sort of the crudeness of the humor and the sort of lack of, tenderness in the characters it kind of becomes a rush from joke to joke um jerk homer is a thing you'll hear quoted a lot is homer becomes more and more of a jerk he becomes less sort of bounded by sort of a a love of the characters and more is just an excuse to rip through jokes um and that's definitely the main component i sort of notice 
Um, the jokes per minute stays about the same. If not, if, if, if anything, it kind of gets ramped up a little bit. Um, but sort of the cohesion of, of tender treatment of the characters is what I would say kind of makes seasons kind of three through eight, the best seasons and one through nine, the, the good ones. I like that. We should, you and I could do, you know, we, we got nothing else to talk about <laughs> most, most weeks. So you and I should rank our Simpsons episodes at some point. Whoa. I have right. a pretty firm top three-ish, and then I, I have to think about the ones after that. Yeah, I, 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 I'm pretty sure we'll, we'll get there at some point, and I'm guessing sometime in May at the, at the latest. <laughs> next week. <laughs> yeah, right. Most likely to happen the next 10 seasons. Dodger player hitting 49 or more doubles. The last one to do that was Sean Green in 2003. Hitting 160 more singles. Juan Pierre did that in 2007. Or getting 100 or more walks. Gary Sheffield in 2000. I was thinking about this. So, um, 49 doubles is the LA Dodger record. The only one with more was Johnny Frederick in like 1930 with 52. Um, for hits... I think the players on the Dodgers now who are most likely to get the most hits hit for too much power yeah, to have to say, There's not singles, a lot of banjo so, hitters around. Yeah. So, so I think like, the singles, I think Juan Pierre's safe. Pop so I the think champagne. That's out. <laughs> so I think this basically is a race between like, oh, and then also like, like Jock Peterson, when he came up, he walked like 90 times, but then he's also more of a platoon player. At least that's how he's used. Uh, Max Muncie, I think, can get there. So I think this question is basically a race between Corey Seager and Max Muncie. <laughs> and, and I I think Seager has a 50-double season in him. Um, so I would probably bet on that. That At the same time, it wouldn't surprise me if Muncie one of these years walked 100. He's been like closing in on it. So, uh, But I, I think I would pick Seager to, to get to 49 or more. Um, so yeah, I think that's my pick. This is just another rain in a box for Juan Pierre, single yeah. single king of the LA Dodgers. I am. I also need to um, make a note. We we do we sort of keep track of our predictions and bets and stuff from the podcast. And I was looking. We have <laughs> we done finally any started to like do a, it. Yeah, <laughs> and we we haven't even picked anything for a long well, time. So I'm glad we, we don't want to like. Something. Yeah, I guess you and I could pick when is the next actual game of baseball, but right. I maybe we could do that at some point. Like maybe that. Let's say the next time baseball, like no, we can't say sets a date because that like. Hmm. Let's just let's maybe within two weeks we, we'll we'll try to figure out. Let's pick pick a date or sure. something. Sort of. Uh, have you been watching any of the Taiwanese baseball? Um, very little, mostly because. It's on super early for me. I think those mm-hmm. games start at like 3 a.m. Um, and like I have old man bladder and just <laughs> just being old in general. I randomly wake up sometimes at like 3 or 4 in the morning and I will check my phone. So if I happen to do that, I will check it then. I'll check the baseball then. But other than that, it's, it's not really so far. Uh, old old friend um, uh, who, who got on first for 1,000 hits in the uh, Taiwanese league. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, I didn't see that. I I saw someone make a pun, and I I didn't read the article. I thought he was playing first base. No, he uh, got his. That's oh, you know, that's great. Thousand hit. Nice. Uh, that's pretty nice. Yeah. No, and and he uh, he about tipped his cap to uh, the robotic fans that are in the audience. <laughs> so. I like that. How much of the experience of seeing a live music performance is the audience interaction for you? 
I've been to a couple of festivals in the U2 Joshua Tree concert at the Rose Bowl in the last few years, and I thought crowd reaction was part of the show. Um, wanna, let's just answer that. He has some follow-up questions for the both of us. but Yeah, so um, for, he meant the sort of, um, not to steal Craig Sunder because I saw part of the question, but mm. um, the, the, I will say this. Most of the Weird Al shows I've been to involves a lot of singing along. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's this last one I went to in, in August. I went with my cousin Alex, and this was at the um, the amphitheater in Newport Beach. I forgot what it's called, but anyway, we were there, and I just remember there being a divide where there were older fans like me and him who like knew the earlier stuff. But maybe weren't as up on the new stuff. But man, then you could really see what the 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 younger crowd lit up at. And but everyone was singing along on a lot of stuff, and I thought that was great. However, the most like um, involved, like just everyone singing along, I think, was a Tom Petty concert at uh, the Irvine Amphitheater. Um, this was probably fifteen years ago. Um, and that we were just sitting on the grass and Steve Wynn would open that one. But man, like Petty probably sang like 20 songs and like everyone there was like singing along with all of them. And it was wonderful. Um, so, yeah, that, I, that, those are like the two examples I can remember. He wonders with my musical preferences if I uh, prefer smaller shows where you don't really see the other audience members. So, y- sure. I don't know what you're saying, Craig. Like this hipster music, but I've, you know, I've been to, I've been, I've been the Staples, I've been the Greek many, many a time. I guess I haven't been the Staples for a concert more than once, but I did see Lady Gaga at Staples Center. So, Ooh. Uh, but it's no crowd interaction, I think is, is just as big of a deal. I don't say it's a vital component to a great show, but it is one of the ways you can get there to, to a great show. Nico Case and Glenn Hansard, two artists that I like a lot. Um, are both extremely eloquent at sort of conversing with the audience. I think almost mm-hmm. Vin Scully-esque in having a, oh. a conversation with the audience, even if uh, they're not actually reacting. Sometimes they are. Sometimes the crowd is actually responding. But both uh, really funny, really eloquent, and also just great performers. So, Do they start with each concert with, it's time for music? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yes, so they do. <laughs> that would be great. Um, so the, the best... Um, I'll say the best, like, just crowd experience didn't involve necessarily singing along, although there was some. But U2 in the Elevation Tour, so this was, like, 2001 and 2-ish. Uh, I probably saw them, like, three times on that tour. Um, I th- Maybe the Honda Center twice, even. And I think once in San Diego. Um, man, that was such a good show. And it was the kind like where I got goosebumps like during the concert, like it was that good. And that was just like the feeling in the in the arena, and like it was both like the energy of the band and the the crowd itself. And it's not necessarily like, um, uh, you know, singing along. Although there were there were songs where people did sing along, but it was just more like the, just the just the raw energy in the building was awesome i loved it um so that was probably the best like crowd experience i've ever had at a concert jacob do you have a favorite book series or author that you can recommend for the listeners so i'm a programmer by trade which i've brought up a few times on the podcast but my 
degree is in American literature, which makes no sense when you know me because I, I, I don't seem to be a someone that uh, might read a lot. I don't have a lot of books lying around. I don't talk about reading that much. A lot of that is because I kind of burnt out on reading. When you major in literary criticism, you're kind of that that yeah. part of my brain is hard to turn off. So if I'm reading anything sort of sort of high level uh, literature like I read while I was at school, it's really hard for me to just kind of enjoy it. Mm. Uh, that said, I have been reading a I just started a extremely large fantasy series because I find that most fantasy is escapist enough that I can kind of read it and not um, overly engage my brain, which is generally what I'm looking for by the time I'm, I'm done working. And that is the uh, Malzahn Book of the Fallen is the name of the series. And it's by uh, your name, evil twin, uh, Steven Erickson. Whoa. <laughs> just noticed doppel- that. One, yeah. Evil doppelganger. So, okay. uh, and I've been enjoying that a lot so far. Um, I might think about this a little bit more and, and, you know, kind of go back to my, my days writing about books, uh, and recommend, recommend a few, but I have a few sports books here that I haven't gotten to that I want to. And part of it is like time. Part of it is like, yeah, I just, I don't know if I, if my, my brain views reading as a chore and doesn't want me to do it. And I just find ways to not do it. Uh, but I'm staring right now at Stealing Home by Eric Nussbaum, sort of the the backstory behind uh, the Dodgers coming to Los Angeles and building Dodger Stadium. And then also um, uh, The Cactus League, a fictional book surrounding uh, spring training by Emily Nemens. Looking forward to reading both, just haven't got to it. There was a time in March where I did have time when this was we were all sort of shutting down a little bit. And um, it was this weird thing. I... I this is a weird excuse, but it sort of fits. Um, my glasses broke and I'd spend like <laughs> so I, many I, books. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. And, uh, no, but it was like, um, like, so I sent it in for repair and then there was like a, uh, a, a snag with the repair and I had a backup pair of my old prescription, you know, but I, I, what I've noticed is that when I don't have my glasses on, even like watching TV, I'm like, oh, I can't really see that like that far away sometimes. So I didn't want to like commit to reading without glasses. But oh, but then also the backup pair that broke too. So I, I was there was like a three week period where I was like, without glasses, and it, I finally got them in. So I have them now. So I can I could probably sit down and, and finally read these. But yeah, it was weird. Like I was like, oh, I have time. I'm like, oh no, I don't want to strain my eyes like that much right now. All I'm the time in the screen. world, Eric. Exactly. It was a I it was a Twilight Zone episode come to life. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Next question. Food question. Tonight I am having a tamale pie, which is a really larger, deconstructed kind of tamale in a casserole dish. This is something I grew up having, and I was wondering if either of you has gone back to family favorites while we now cook more at home. Huh. So I, uh, so, I, yeah. I, I have one. Uh, yeah. We we did not cook a ton at home growing up uh are n- not a lot of sort of signature dishes um there were some for sure uh biscuits and gravy which we have not retried um my grandmother's mac and cheese recipe which that specifically we have not made and that's just because i don't know I, we sell we own there's this this 
four or five day period where we have milk and we tend to be using it for cereal and um, mm-hmm. milk and cookies, you know, the necessities. So we don't have it to make a roux uh, for the mac and cheese. But growing up, we made what we always used to call sizzle burgers, which is just uh-huh. burgers, uh, but with uh, Worcestershire sauce. And I did a little research. I'm pretty sure this was just a marketing gimmick that French's or um, Liam Perkins made up just to try and sell more Worcestershire sauce. But they are delicious. And so I, I made a couple of those last week. And uh, instantly putting the Worcestershire on the burger patty took me back to being 13 or whatever and helping my parents make these. So That's pretty fun. Um, so I, I have a weird like thing. I, I don't – my it's not that my mom didn't cook. She did every once in a while. But so my brothers and sisters are all older than me. Like my, my youngest brother is 10 years older than me. And like my parents got divorced when I was two, so my mom like basically my, my mom like went back to work um, when I was like three, I want to say. And so she was like, and by the time we moved out to Palm Springs, she was like a single mom working, and like already did like the twenty plus years of like being a homemaker and stuff, and cooked every every day. And so like just a lot of times she just didn't have time. So I did eat a lot of like fast food growing up, but also her uh things would they would be very utilitarian like a quick like um you know uh making some sort of meat in the oven uh maybe a a can of green beans or corn on the stove and sometimes like maybe the potatoes we maybe a baked potato but maybe like um instead of fries she would slice the potatoes um and then sort of make those uh cook those in the oven and they'd be sort of like you know chip fries uh, as as a as it were mm-hmm. as sort of a, a treat I, I don't really do that a ton so there's not like stuff that i'm thinking about like home um other than like say for christmas i tend to make uh her, like her Chex mix recipe and that's not really like cooking and stuff as it is to just adding flavors to it and things so I, I tend to do that more in terms of a thinking about old things. I, that said, I have been cooking more. I'm probably going to buy a food processor this week because I want to start to make more salsa and chili at home. And I'm going to just go deeper into that. And so, I yeah, I've been cooking quite a bit um, and just sort of exploring here and there. And it's, it's more like newer recipes to me as, as opposed to old. But yeah, I like it. Um, chili, we we had a lot over the holidays um, at various things, so maybe that's it. And I I, I really want to make a good chili within the next week here, so that's probably going to be the one that's closest to me in terms of like a an old comfort food that uh, I used to have. That's this episode. I, I was thinking about the book question. Uh, Never let me go by Kazuo Ishiguro. There you go. All right. There's, there's nice. one. Yeah. So uh, you know, th- this is a little bit shorter, although uh, we've been decent, yeah, decent fine. length on these weekly episodes. So hope you enjoy it. Uh, maybe we'll have a little bit more of a structure on what to talk about next week, or maybe we won't. Uh, but either way, we'll try to make uh, something that's fun to listen to. And thanks for listening, everybody. We'll uh, talk to you next week. Thank you.